From WGVU, this is Focus West Michigan for Friday, February 16, 2024. I'm Joe Balecki. For our main feature today, Scott Vanderwerf sits down with Studio C's Eric Kuiper to preview movies opening this weekend. Also, Kent County residents with property damage from last August's storms can now apply to FEMA for disaster assistance. The Grand Rapids Downtown Development Authority is updating its tax collection districts and more state and West Michigan news. Focus West Michigan is brought to you by listeners like you. To support this show and everything we do, visit wgvunews.org and click the donate button. Kent County residents with property damage from the tornado storms and flooding last August can now apply to FEMA for disaster assistance. WGVU's David Limbaugh spoke with Kent County's Emergency Management Coordinator about the application process. On August 24th of last year, an F1 tornado traveled nearly nine miles across portions of northern Kent County. With wind speeds topping off at 75 miles per hour, damage to roughly 200 homes and businesses exceeded $4.3 million. Now, FEMA has announced that residents residents who experience property damage can apply for disaster relief. Emergency Management Coordinator Matt Grozier explains who these funds are designed to help. This type of relief will come in handy for anyone that had damage to their property or maybe debris removal or something along those lines that wasn't fully covered by their insurance. Even if you're not sure if damage sustained to your property will qualify for relief, Grozier says there's no fee for applying. The eligibility will become clear as you go through the process still go ahead and apply if you think that you had some type of either underinsured or non-insured costs related with the storm back in August. To start the application process, you can contact FEMA online at disasterassistance.com, downloading the FEMA app, or calling their helpline at 1-800-621-3362. A list of information applicants will want to have ready when they apply can be found on FEMA's website. I'm David Limbaugh. Grand Rapids Downtown Development Authority is updating its tax collection districts. It's intended to increase revenue for financing transformational projects. WGVU's Patrick Center has the details. The Downtown Development Authority wants to add two new tax increment finance districts. The first would include the Grand Rapids United States Post Office and neighboring the Row Building at the corner of Michigan Street Northwest and Monroe Avenue Northwest. The second at 201 Market Avenue Southwest and adjacent properties along the Grand River where the proposed Acrisure Amphitheater will be constructed along with the Grand River Greenway Trail. We're just creating new tax capture districts so that we can collect revenue to participate in projects moving forward. That's Tim Kelly, president and CEO of Downtown Grand Rapids, Inc. during the February Downtown Development Authority board meeting. Known as TIFFs, the Michigan Economic Development Corporation explains, through the Brownfield Redevelopment Financing Act, Brownfield TIF allows applicable taxing jurisdictions to receive property taxes on the property at the current level and capture incremental increase in tax revenue resulting from a redevelopment project. To date, so since 2016, we've sent back $6.6 million, and over the term of this proposed plan, we would project that we'd send back close to $100 million in tax increment revenue. That is a result of the step-up, so we're at 15% now. In 2032, we would step up to 25%. The timeline calls for a city commission hearing in March, followed by an April public hearing. I'm Patrick Center.
Research shows a clear connection between animal abuse and future violence, says a Michigan lawmaker, and as WGVU's Dee Morrison reports, he wants to fund more studies on that link and more prevention programs. People who commit animal cruelty are five times more likely to commit other crimes than non-animal abusers, and those crimes are likely to be violent. That's according to studies by scholars from Michigan State University. U.S. Senator Gary Peters is reintroducing legislation that would fund studies on the link, support efforts to stop animal cruelty and rehabilitate offenders. He stresses the connection between animal abuse and future violence is so strong the FBI started collecting data on it as part of their profiles on mass shooters and serial killers. However, it's often treated as an isolated issue and animal cruelty cases are underreported and underinvestigated. There are few programs available for juveniles involved in animal abuse to specifically address their mental health needs. The bill would help ensure animal abuse is treated with urgency as a community issue and offer strategies for intervention to reduce the likelihood of future violence. I'm Dee Morrison. A Grand Valley State University program that gives academic support to students in kindergarten through grade 12 has been selected as an approved tutoring provider for the MI Kids Back on Track program. WGVU's David Limbaugh explains. The K-12 Connect program was created by GVSU in 2020 to address learning loss during the pandemic. Since then, it has grown to support more than 5,500 students and educators in 35 schools across the state. The program provides personalized support for students at any grade level, either during or after school, helping them obtain appropriate grade level proficiency in math, reading, and other subjects. GVSU's K-12 Connect program recently received approval from the state as a high-impact tutoring provider for K-12 districts seeking funds from the state's My Kids Back on Track program. K-12 Connect Director Amira Vosberg says that when schools are looking to receive grant funding to support tutoring for their students, this state approval will allow GVSU to be an option to help those districts. And really what it means is that schools, as they're looking to work with a partner in that space, they know that that partner has been vetted, that that partner has a high-quality, high-impact program. Bosberg says GVSU's K-12 Connect program stands out from others due to their ability to creatively adapt to students' needs outside of the classroom. There's only so much you can cram in that day. And so by working with us, they're able to extend that service, they're able to reach more families and kind of work with the families as an educational partner to get their kids the support that they need. I'm David Limbaugh. Michigan House Democrats and Republicans are fighting over which bills to take up for votes. The latest disagreement involves bipartisan school safety legislation. Republican minority leadership tried unsuccessfully this week to discharge several school safety bills from committee, where they've been for a year. Democratic State Representative Matt Colazar chairs the House Education Committee. He says package sponsors have been doing heavy work on the bills in the background, even if they haven't gotten a hearing yet. They have made sure that they are taking the utmost care and consideration when it comes to the most critical thing, the safety of our children. To simply try to discharge them to the floor before the task force can complete their work is reckless and could potentially endanger a child's life as well. House Republicans have been pressuring Democratic leadership to call votes on more of their priorities while the House is temporarily at an even split. The Republican National Committee says former Congressman Pete Hoekstra is the leader of the Michigan Republican Party, but that may not be the final word as a court hearing on the conflict over who's in charge approaches next week. We have more from Rick Pluta. The plaintiffs are Republican state committee members who are trying to force out Christina Caramo and gain control of party bank accounts and other assets. Caramo has filed a motion in the Kent County Circuit Court to have the case dismissed. She says she only can be removed by Republican delegates who elected her last year to lead the state party. 
Former President Donald Trump has thrown his support behind Hoekstra, who says he's already gone to work repairing relationships and the state party's collapsed finances. The leadership fight continues as the Michigan Republicans' presidential caucuses are a little more than two weeks away. I'm Rick Pluta. Over the next Jazz Night in America, Damian Sneed worked with Aretha Franklin, Wynton Marcellus, and now he's sharing his own vision of traditional gospel. I think it's important that we don't forget where many of us have come from as Americans, that we don't forget the songs that carried us over and that brought us through. I'm Christian McBride, and that's on the next Jazz Night in America. Sunday morning at 10 here on WGVU NPR. The Marvel Comics movie Madam Web opens today, starring Dakota Johnson. Also, Bob Marley, One Love is in theaters, a biopic on the great Jamaican musician. The Taste of Things opens, a period drama around food and romance. And the documentary God and Country, The Rise of Christian Nationalism, based on a book by a Kelvin professor, is playing for one week. WGVU Scott Vanderwerf breaks it all down with Eric Kuiper from Studio C. Let's try that again. A week ago, I spent my life racing against time. I'm gonna help you out today, okay? Trying to save people who were running out of it. Until one moment changed everything. Come on! Welcome back to the land of the living. And that's Madam Web, starring Dakota Johnson in the title track. And uh, Madam Web is a an ancillary character, a minor character, actually, in the Spider-Verse. It's a, a Spider-Man comic book character. And it hasn't been getting very good reviews. What have you been hearing about it, Eric? Well, th- that uh, the people who have seen it, that went in with low expectations, that they, they were pleasantly surprised with what they've got. So that's a good thing. Um, now, again, they went in with low expectations and... And, and, and part of this is, you know, this ongoing conversation, I suppose, around superhero fatigue, although there are plenty of signs right now that I don't think that it's the superhero, superhero piece in and of itself that's the problem that I think we're fatiguing with. What I think that the people aren't interested in is good guy equals superhero, bad guy equals something else, and let's just see who comes out on top, and we already know how that's going to end before the movie starts. You know, like, that's just not that interesting. So... We're swapping out capes and masks and emblems on chests and whether it's a male character or a female character. I don't think like shuffling around those pieces is enough to make, you know, the the movie going population excited and running to the theaters the way it maybe did, you know, 10, 20 years ago. So, yes, that that's running out of steam. Now, this one from my understanding, actually has less spidey superhero-ness in it than a lot of these movies do. Um, Dakota Johnson is playing a version of this Madam Web character. So in the comics, which showed up in 1980, I think was the first time, it's an elderly woman who is connected to a life support system that is this web. And she has basically this sixth sense to be able to see the future, therefore predict what's going to happen. And she has some other abilities. Um, and she's also a minor character, in, you know, in a Spider-Man comic book. Yeah, that's right. It, it's yeah, right. She shows up for the first time in a Spider-Man comic book in 1980 as you know. And so now, you know, this character is a 30 year old, fully able bodied version of Madam Web played by Dakota Johnson. 
uh, as you said, and um, and she's like an EMT, you know. So it it's there's a lot of space between what was going on in the comic books and and what this character is, and I'm not sure why they made the decision to do that. Sydney Sweeney is also in the film, and I guess has as much or more screen time almost than Dakota Johnson has, and she's she's I guess pretty great in it. Um, but there are these other kind of spider women characters and it's a team up movie and all that stuff. And, you know, they're, they're going to go, you know, they got to survive today in order to save the future tomorrow kind of situation. So, um, but I think what's interesting is this movie's hitting, it's getting a lukewarm, probably at best, you know, uh, response. And then on Sunday during the Super Bowl, they drop, you know, a teaser trailer for uh, the new, you know, Deadpool 3, which has Hugh Jackman playing, you know, reprising his Wolverine character. And basically they say, hey, you know, go online to watch the rest of the trailer. And it breaks the record for the most views in a 24-hour period of a trailer online ever, which is beating, speaking of Spider-Man, Spider-Man No Way Home, which was like 355 million views in one day. This Deadpool 3 trailer got 365 million views in one day. So it's just interesting. Like, I think people, you know, um, having this Ryan Reynolds, Hugh Jackman vehicle, it's rated R. It's, you know, yes, it's a spy or a superhero movie, but it's doing something interesting. And it's also characters that we know and that have been beloved by the audience coming back. Right. So there is already an emotional connection. And if you say the name Madam Webb to most, it probably doesn't, you know, there's not a lot of nostalgia getting, you know, stoked here. Or, you know, it's not, it's IP, I guess, for the deepest cut of comic book fans. Um, so, yeah, I mean, all that to say, this movie's not going to be huge uh, box office. But I, again, people who've gone to see it have actually enjoyed their time in the theater. So it's it's not like it's just this wretched movie, but it, it's tough when we're talking about, you know, things in the Spider-Verse and Sony playing around with this. You know, we've got Venom, which was a huge surprise a few years ago. But again, they did something different with that. That, that character had something going for it and they kind of did some new stuff. I don't know that Madame Web does that. So I think that's where it struggles. Also opening Bob Marley, One Love a dramatic presentation of uh, the great reggae artist uh, who passed away of of brain cancer. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I, you know, I don't know if it's been a long awaited, but nicely timed for uh, Valentine's day with, with the title anyway. Um, Yeah, this is the, this is the Bob Marley biopic and, you know, uh, you really get into who he was, um, what drove him. Uh, his uh, son Ziggy is a producer on on this uh, on this film, um, and there's uh, you know there's lots of obviously there's there's a lot of great music in it. One of the things that they did was they you know you know they covered some of these songs, um, and uh, you know there's a, it's a Casey Musgraves I think is her name did a you know Three Little Birds cover. Um, in the last year that's a part of the soundtrack so they've been building up to the release of this and actually this film was supposed to be released a year or more ago and they kept kicking it down the road um, for for different reasons and so here it finally gets to the screen so um, you know he's one of those just iconic figures in in you know not just America obviously but sort of the global music world Um, so you know and, and he's got a pretty dramatic life so it makes for a great movie in that sense it's not just good music also, The Taste of Things, which is a period film starring Juliette Binoche, uh, and it's around food. And there was an interesting NPR piece yesterday about how they didn't use the typical sort of 
uh, cinema food presentation in terms of which is actually phony in mm. many cases, not real food. They, the director wanted real food. They wanted it to look like food would have looked like during the period that this film takes in, takes place in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in a commercial, if there's sour cream on something, it's actually just glue. You know, uh, uh, food photography is not food photography. It's photography. It's it's smoke and mirrors. So yeah, the fact that they did, I guess you would call it practical effects with the food is really is really fun and interesting. So it's a it's a love story. Um, so basically, Juliette Binesh is this cook. She she and her boss have this 20 year relationship. And it's it's uh, there's quite a bit of sexual tension there. Um, and in that uh they they are being recognized around the world by some of the greatest chefs as as creating some of the best food in the world and it this you know there's this sense that this sort of sexual tension between the two of them is manifesting itself in the food well he would like to he would like to make this relationship more official and she's a little hesitant around this still so where the film kicks in is he decides he's going to try and really win her over with the food. And so this is going to show up. So it's this very sort of beautiful, sensual, um, you know, film where cooking becomes, you know, sort of a metaphor for this, this, you know, this relationship. And I love food. I also have had a crush on Julia Banesh for most of my life. I just think she's the best. So she's in a number of some of my favorite movies. So this it, this is a bunch of my favorite things uh, all together. And there is a, it's almost a subgenre of movies out there, movies about food. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, if it's done right, um, it, it is. It's There's just something about it, you know. Uh, there is something really cinematic about cooking um, and you know, the heat and the, the the beauty of the ingredients and the presentation of the plate and all that stuff. So it's it's multi-sensory in that, in that regard. And very briefly, just to mention that uh, you have the Oscar shorts playing. So if people are going, wanting to go to the cinema and actually see the movies that are nominated for, for the uh, uh, various awards, you've got Oscar shorts. Also, you're playing God and Country, The Rise of Christian Nationalism, which is a documentary that was produced by Rob Reiner. And uh, one of the um, uh, it's the uh, some of the basis is from a uh, Calvin professor, uh, Kristen Cobus Dumez, who wrote a book called uh, John Wayne, a uh, Jesus and John Wayne, how white ev- evangelicals corrupted a faith and fractured a nation. And this is uh, the movie God and Country, the Rise of Christian Nationalism. Yeah, we're, we're excited. Um, she's actually doing uh, a, a Q&A connected to the film tonight, which is, is already sold out at Celebration North. That's where the film is playing. It will be playing for the, at least the next week or so. Um, and and we'll, we'll keep it a lo- around as long as we can see that there's still interest in it. Um, but it is a really interesting story. And she, you know, her book really has gotten a lot of attention over the last couple of years. So it's, you know, it's exciting to have sort of this local reality. I mean, uh, you know, a film getting, you know, made out of it, which speaks to the way this book has resonated with with the American consciousness over the last uh, couple of years. So fun that she's around and she she made a special effort to be able to to be available for it. Um, but there's been a lot of interest in in the film and we're excited to be able to show it. So the one other thing on the Oscar shorts, uh, it's it's live action, documentary, animated. We're playing all three programs, but they rotate throughout the day. So you kind of got to go hunting a little bit to see. They don't all play every single day. But so if you're looking on a day and you don't see it, it might be the next day after that. So hopefully you can see them all. All right. Well, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Scott. 
This has been Focus West Michigan from WGVU for Friday, February 16, 2024. I'm Joe Balecki. Our audio operations manager is Rick Beerling and our news and public affairs director is Patrick Center. We'll be back with more news and events in West Michigan on Monday, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.